<laughs> this week, we, we continue the message series, What's Missing? Each week, we are looking at a passage from Scripture to make sure we aren't overlooking an intended idea, purpose, or lesson. And by doing so, perhaps we can come a little closer to proper application and take confidence that nothing in this particular area, this particular Scripture we look at, is missing from our own understanding. And this week, we're going to look a little closer at a passage we referenced last week as we were considering what it means to love others as ourselves. I hope that it was something that, that spoke to you last week because we came at it from several angles, right? We're supposed to love others as ourselves. That doesn't mean we're supposed to love each other less, more, or differently, right? And we, we make these mistakes sometimes where we forget about ourselves, or we, we put ourselves first, and that's the one that we often think about, but it's really a true balance. So as a quick review, we consider whether the word as, when you love as yourself, is it an adjective, meaning that we should love others in the same amount, the same type, in the same way that we love ourselves? We also looked at as as a conjunction, meaning should we love others while we love ourselves? And in either case, we took God's instruction on this to mean that there should not be any differentiation between the love that we showed for others and that which we have for ourselves. And all of this is second only to the love we have for God, all of which is important. It was only natural that we reference the instructions that we found in Matthew seven twelve, known as the golden rule. Who, who remembers the golden rule? Do it to others as you do it to yourself, right? That's it. We may not know exactly where it is found in Scripture. You may not even realize it was scriptural, that it was found in the Bible at all, but we certainly have heard that before. Perhaps you heard it at church. Perhaps you, it was the wisdom your parents gave you, right? Do unto others as yourself. Perhaps you heard it in a school classroom. I think I actually did. I don't think they do that anymore. Um, but here it is on screen, the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This simple statement, simple to say, right? Not always simple to obey, was a part of the great teaching known the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is this passage of Matthew that is extends from Matthew 5 through 7. So I talk about the Bible being the, the operator's manual for life, right? This is this is our guidebook. And then one time I brought in on a Sunday all of the owner's manuals that we have. And it was ridiculous. It was a stack this high. And as a guy, I don't think I've ever opened a single one of them. And we talk about it. I wish there was no owner's manual for being a parent and for life and how to, and we do, we have one. And, and what's really cool is it's an open book exam. A lot of the instructions you need are found right here in this book. So, but if you want a quick start guide to good living according to Christ's commands, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Okay? And each topic, I'll tell you right now, is its own sermon series. And some theologians dedicate their entire lives to studying certain parts of this particular teaching of Jesus. That's how deep and important it is. And this morning, I'm just going to hit some of the bullet points with the hope that it might whet your appetite to spend more time on your own, perhaps as a part of your commitment to the Lord this Lenten season to read the Sermon on the Mount. Now, here's the trick. You might remember this from Sunday school too, defining the book of Matthew, right? You split, if you don't have one of these little tabs here to cheat, you split the Bible in half and that should find Psalms. And if you split it again, that should put you right in Matthew. All right, doesn't always work for the, the abridged versions and, and some of the other study Bibles, but generally speaking, half is Psalms, half again is Matthew. And Matthew 5 through 7, like I said, it is the Sermon on the Mount. And as he covers the Beatitudes, and maybe you're familiar with this, blessed are those who, right? It's this, this list of blessed are those. 
And he talks about the salt and the light. And we remember the scripture as well, right? The light on a hill must be shine for all. And we don't put the light under a basket. And these are all good, deep, meaningful instructions for us. But the one that I really like, it says, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now that should shut down a lot of his critics, right? The law and the prophets, even the gold rule, it talks about the law and the prophets. That is the first Testament. That is the, the book that the Hebrews were studying, the, what we call our first or, or Old Testament now, the laws and the prophets. And he said, I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't say that doesn't matter. He says, I came to fulfill those things. And he goes on to say uh, several things. You have heard it said. If you look in Matthew, as you get in Matthew 6, it's talking about you have heard it say, thou shalt not commit murder, but I tell you. And he takes these instructions, he takes these commandments, and he explains them, he unwraps them in a way such that you can understand. And maybe you aren't going to be so legalistic about thou shalt not murder. Because he says murder is more than that. It's about anger. Adultery is more than, than physical cheating. He talks about swearing an oath. He talks about an eye for an eye, right? That was, that was law, is an eye for an eye. And he's talking about turning a cheek. He said he's explaining these things. He's not abolishing them. Then he gets to the part, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, you've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And he says, no, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I've sh- shared the story before. I had a, a really good accountability partner and I had a horrible boss that just, just tormented me. And as always, you need to pray. I will. No, really, you need to pray for Jack right now. Okay, I'll wait. All right, you know, and then that's the kind of accountability we need to have for each other. To say, are you praying for the person, the thing that's tormenting, that's persecuting? Are you praying for your enemies? Are you loving them? Give to the needy, but not for show. Pray in the same way, right? Quietly, privately, not for show. And this is where he introduces the Lord's Prayer. And if you remember from the Lord's Prayer we read just a moment ago, he says, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? Um, so again, there's this, there's this rest, reciprocity of, of loving others, forgiving others as ourselves. Fasting, don't do it for show. And I make a reference to this Nash Wednesday service about, you know, some denominations include some of those who see ours do will do the oil or the ash on the forehead. And I talked a little bit about that. Storing treasures in heaven. And then the one we all need to hear, do not worry. And that pearl of wisdom can worry add even a single day to your life. Spoiler alert, it can't, okay? The real good news is, is why we shouldn't worry, where we can take our courage and our strength. And then we arrive at Matthew 7 and look at verses 1 and 2 on the screen. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So this is the namesake of of this message this morning. The measure you use. You know, as I was showing, putting that slide together with the background, I had different sizes of measuring cups. And it's talking about the measure you use. And he's saying, you know, if you're going to love so much this much, right, um, that's how much you're asking to be loved back. That's the golden rule. If you're forgiving someone this much, and this story is throughout the Bible, the lessons of parables that say, you know, um, you forgave someone so much and, and they should forgive you, you know, or, or I will not show you the mercy you did not show on the, the debtor, the one who owed you money. 
It talks about this measure used and the same measure will be used for you. So if you're like me, you want to use the biggest possible measure and that's the trick. And some phrase this, uh, the same phrase is found in the Gospel of Luke with some elaboration here below. Give and it will be given to you. There's that word, you know. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now picture this, and if you're picking, picturing those same units of measure, a measuring cup or whatever, a good measure, so whatever you can think of, pressed down, right? Packed down, I'm thinking flour, right? Shaken together, and it's still overflowing. That's how much, you know? If that's what we use for others, that same amount overflowing is what God will use for you. Again, the measure we choose to use should be the biggest measure that we can find. And, and so really these are the golden rule unpacked. You flip it forward. You can see all three here, right? Do not judge, you'll be judged. The measure you use will be used for you. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down. You know, the measure you use will be used for you. Whatever you do to others, whatever you wish for others, do, do for them. Do you see the connection? Love others as ourselves. We're all in this together. I'm going to take the remainder of the background message time to, or the message time to answer the question, what's missing from our understanding and application of Jesus' instructions about the measure we use? What is the measure that you use? Is it consistent for ourselves and for others, right? Do I forgive you with the same capacity I forgive for myself? Do I love you the same way I love you, the same way I love you, the same way I love myself? That measure should be the same. And again, we get this all kinds of, of out of whack because we find reasons, judgments, that, um, you know, to, to forgive someone or something a little more, love someone a little more, a little less. I'm, you know, I'm still loving them. Jesus says it's not just about loving them. Love everyone equally. Love them like you love the other person and like you love yourself. Second only to the way you love God. And that's what we studied last week about love. And here Jesus clearly tells us this is also about judgment. And we must know that this applies to forgiveness. So what's in your toolbox? How are you equipped to love and forgive? What measure has God given to you? Well, I'll tell you he's given you a big heart. If you are made in his image and you're instructed to live like Christ, then, then you must consider the model and measure that he uses for us because we are in his image. We are to live and act as, as Jesus Christ did. That is how we are equipped. That is the expectation. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, first of all, it's a promise. And unfortunately, his requirement is that we confess our sins. He, he loves you as he wants you to love him. So thank God, literally, thank God that he doesn't treat us the same way we treat him. When, we, when he only talks to us when he needs us, right? He only shows love when, when it's that time of year, the time of season, right? Or when something really good or really bad happens, he talks to us. No, God loves us all the time. A couple messages ago, we talked about everything, not the word everything, but the true Greek word was everything and every individual thing. God loves you. So we don't have to worry or think about or be afraid of God loving us the same way we love him because he's mastered it and he's done that first. We love because he first loved us. And Romans 5, 8 points out that God demonstrates this love for us 
that while we were still sinners, or dare I say while we are still, not were, but are still sinners, Christ has died for us. He's died for you. You think attendance at church gets small post-COVID or in the winter. Think about it if we had to wait until we all had it perfect. There wouldn't be a single person here, including myself. He loves us. He loves us as we are. He just loves us too much to leave us where we are. Colossians 3.13, the apostle Paul says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. At some point, I'm gonna go before the Lord and, and, and I'm gonna be judged. And luckily, I've got a really good advocate there in Jesus Christ. But I wanna know that there's nothing that I've done that, that, I, that I'm not asking God to do for myself Love in regards to love and forgiveness and, and judgment. And I know there is, I know there is. This is a constant struggle for each of us every single day. And God says every day, pick up that cross. Pick up that cross daily. It takes daily work, daily forgiveness. And maybe the hardest for us as humans is, is loving the unlovable, which God says there is no such thing as unlovable, and forgiving those sins that may seem unforgivable against us or I forgive them, but they just keep hurting me over and over. Matthew 18, 21 through 22 speaks. It says, Peter came to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? He says, up to seven times. I imagine Peter was saying, that's a lot, right? Seven times. You're you really saying I should do it seven times? You know, maybe you're thinking Jesus would say, two's good, maybe three. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Other translations say seven times seven. Now, this may be one of those times that this is a biblical number that may not be literal. I think God isn't saying whatever number you think was exorbitant, it's that exponential, okay? How many times shall I forgive my brother and sister? As many times as you need to. As many times as they ask, as many times as it's necessary. And this is just not for the benefit of our relationship, which God delights in us getting along as children, but the benefits for our soul, there's nothing good about harboring resentment or hate for either of you. Luke 17, 3, 4 gives us advisement. It says, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So I'm gonna put this in context a little bit. By that, I'm gonna jump forward two verses to Luke 17, starting at verse one. So Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, okay? We know that this life has some tests and some challenges. He said, those things are coming. He says, but woe to anyone through whom they come. Don't be a stumbling block. He says, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck. Now, Jesus can be pretty hardcore when he's making a point. Then to cause one of these little ones to stumble. He says, don't be the reason they stumble. He says, so watch yourselves. If someone comes to you and asks forgiveness, forgive them. This is so important because we are supposed to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus, the light on the hill. We collectively as, as a church body and we collectively as, as, and individually as well. And if someone knows that you're a Christian or you tell them you're a Christian or you say that this is what God told me to do or anything like that, if it's just even implied, and they see in you some judgmentalness, some hypocrisy, some unforgiveness. It's totally contrary to what we're supposed to be doing. 
And I think that's what Jesus' warning is. He's like, watch yourself. You're supposed to be teaching what I'm teaching, making disciples of others, teaching love and forgiveness and grace. And if you don't do it, even if it seems unreasonable to do so, if you don't do it, where's the message you're sharing? What is the message you're sharing? To that point, God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy are described beautifully in the Bible. Psalms 1 through 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Think about that. You can't even imagine how far that separated. Micah 7, 19. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I mean, this is unimaginably. So picture this. How far this removed. You know, it, we're supposed to forgive and forget, right? The forget's really hard. The forgive's really hard too, right? But these verses tell us that God has removed these from us. That is something that is hard for us to imagine because we, we can't do that ourselves. We should, but we harbor that pain, that resentment, and, and it does serve to protect us. There are times and places when Jesus says, you know what, you've, you've done your part as far as it's up to you, get along with everybody else, but at some point, distance yourself. But God is so strong, so powerful, and so wise, he says, I choose, not as a sign of weakness, but as a sign of strength, to forgive, to forget, to remove that stuff. And that's what he calls us to do. And likewise, with the forgiveness, with his love, Romans 8, 37 through 39. I love Paul's words here. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. He goes on, he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, do you think he got all the loopholes closed? Pretty close. Will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. And we're supposed to be doing that for others. Nothing should separate me from loving you. And of course, we know the words of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And sometimes we stop reading there, but if you go on, it gives the rest of the promise. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That, my friends, is love. And that serves as our example. When John 4, 19, uh, 1 John 4, 9 through 12. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son in the world that we might live through him. This is love, it says. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, comes the appeal. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And what did Jesus do with his power, with his mission? We know the story. He was in that upper room. And what is the first thing he does? He takes the job of the lowliest servant, right? He washed the feet of those next to him. And they tried to stop him. You know, Lord, don't do this. I'm not worthy. I'm not. And he says, no, this is what I do. And this is what you should do. You should serve everyone else around you. That is love. So consider again the verse from Luke we read moments ago. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God promises 
abundant response to this. God considers his word from the prophet, or considers his word from the prophet Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse and there may be food in my house. Test me in this. God says, test me. Says the, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, a lot of times pastors will use this to, to get some collections going. But I don't see this just as about the tithes, about putting money in the offering plate. I, I see this as the tithe, the, the 10% of everything we commit to God, the first thought, the first time, the first emotion, the first activity, the first of everything. And he says, test me, try me in this. Do this for me and watch me outdo you. And this is something we absolutely love and celebrate when God wins in this one. And there's this image of quantity of the measure, but what about the standard of the measure ourselves? We talked a little bit about that, about the, not just how much love and forgiveness, but what true love and forgiveness looks like. And our capacity to do this, our understanding doesn't come from our own spirit. In fact, sometimes it's hard to imagine that we're capable of this, but it's through the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, right? Our ability and capacity to love and find and give joy and peace and forbearance, right? The forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that we are equipped to do, each one of us. And the standard for love, you can't look past the first Corinthians verse 13, four through seven. This is the description of real love. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Where do you hear that? Weddings. Every wedding that I've done, they want to hear that verse. And what a powerful reminder. But did you know it wasn't written just between spouses? My love for you, your love for each other is supposed to be patient and kind, not boastful, not self-seeking, not easily angered. You know, we have enough struggle with us with our own spouses. Don't look at me. <laughs> we do, but we're supposed to love this way our enemies and those who persecute us. So what's missing as we read this verse about the measure we use? I think it's our consideration of the importance of the measure we choose and that this measure is one that goes both ways, unto others as ourself. Not only that we should be doing this and loving others the way we want them to love too, but this is the measure God's using for us. Now, he promises to over, overflow it. But if you're like me, I want to be greedy about that love and forgiveness from God because I need it all. I need everything he's willing to give me. And God operates by this commandment as well. You don't, you don't want, I mean, you want to find the biggest measure so that the love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, and blessings of the one true God overflow. So friends, pick your measure wisely, pick it well, and use it often. I'm gonna close with this benediction. This is from Paul's letter to the early church in Ephesus, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and I'd like to make it a prayer this morning. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power 
together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And he closes by saying now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's my prayer.